You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And as we turn to Matthew 26, looking at verse 17, we are in our series, which is called The Cup of Suffering. The Cup of Suffering. We are following Jesus through his week of passion. If you were here last week, you'll remember when we referred to the Passion Week of Jesus, that is the suffering he went through out of love for his father, love for his church. Passion means intense love. Passion also meant, in earlier days, um, to endure suffering. So the cup of suffering, Passion Week, is following the events of Jesus' life in the final days, his final week here on earth, and experiencing his passion, his suffering, as we go along with him. All that Christ endured, that you and I, by faith, by grace, might live. Our text today in Matthew 26 takes us to Thursday evening of Holy Week. We are joining Jesus as he's making preparations for the Last Supper in the upper room. It's here that we see in our text, Jesus has prepared a special place for a special time with his disciples for one last special supper. Jesus is overseeing the details for a special place with a special time with his disciples for one last special supper, okay? We have no time to waste today, all the things happening in our service, so we need to get right to the word again. Look at Matthew 26, verse 17. Matthew's gospel says this, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus said, he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Verse 19. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. What I want to call this first section is this. Our first point as we move through this passage, I want to call it this. um, A preparation for the heart, Passover. Point number one. A preparation for the heart, Passover. Now let's remember, I, I, I gotta, I, I'm excited about what I get to share with you today, and I'm relying on God's Spirit that He will take what He's showing me and bless me and humbled me and overwhelm me this week, and He will use it to do the same to you. I'm just trusting God you will do that among your church right now. Remember with awe that everything Jesus does is with exact intent and purpose. The details of this text here are all functioning under the sovereignty of God. This moment right here, when Jesus is making preparations for the Passover to end all Passovers, Jesus, this has been prepared for centuries. For centuries in the making, this moment right here at this time, with these people in this way, God has orchestrated it all. For it to come together right here, right now, that he might be glorified, that his son might die, that his son might be raised. It's an awesome thought. Only God can do that. He's taking people, taking men, taking animals. He's taking everything and allowing it by minute by minute, second by second, because he is awesome and he is glorious and he is sovereign and he's deciding it's going to happen right now. Loved ones, don't ever forget who's in charge. Don't ever forget the one who is ruling over this world. 
Don't ever forget if you belong to the Lord God Almighty, you belong to the one and the only one who is sovereign. And if you belong to him, hear this, your life is in his hands. Every single detail, your work, your sickness, your health, good or bad, your future, your past, it's all in the hands of God. And last time I checked, he loves you. He loves you and he proved that through his son, Jesus Christ. Every detail governed by him. He allows things we don't understand. He permits things we don't fully get. But one day we will totally see and when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Right here in the beginning, we see Jesus Christ is Lord. God the Father knows what he's doing. And over your life and mine, he knows what he's doing as well. As we come to this Last Supper It is so encouraging to understand this as Jesus is making these preparations. Luke chapter 22 on the screen for you. I want you to see this. So one of the challenges we have is taking other gospels and then applying them and just seeing how they fit together. Here's one of the things that is said about this Last Supper. Jesus said this, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them, and listen, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Okay, earnestly desired is very strong in the original. Jesus says, I really, really want to have this meal with you before I die. Whatever I'm about to do right now in this meal, Jesus said, this is of utmost importance. He is so looking forward to this happening. So so as we come to this text, this is not just another meal for Jesus. This isn't going through the motions. This is a meal of tremendous importance and tremendous preparation of the heart for his disciples, which I might point out, will be his church. He's preparing their hearts, earnestly desiring. He can't wait to show his disciples the power of the Passover as it relates to himself. What Jesus knows right here, he knows that this meal that they're going to share together is a massive piece of the puzzle in his role as Redeemer. This meal that they share right here in this text will symbolize the greatest turning point in the history of the world. And from our text right here in Matthew 26 on Thursday night, it is, it is only a few hours away. The theology behind this text, honestly, when you see it, it is breathtaking. It is breathtaking to understand the moment Adam and Eve were on this earth and all the things that happened through Abraham, Moses, and Samuel, and, and David, and Isaiah, and then to this point right here to understand what's about to happen at this final meal with Jesus Christ. The theology, again, it is absolutely breathtaking. I want you to feel the humanity of Jesus here. I have earnestly desired to share this meal with you. I want you to feel the divinity of Jesus. Again, sovereign over all things. It's all right here in these couple of verses. He's so filled with love. He can't wait to convey truth. Which I beg God will happen here now. And he will show people for the first time his role in your life as Redeemer. You know how much we like to share new truth sometimes we can't wait to see someone or pick up the phone or send an email or usually face-to-face. We can't wait to get into a situation. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I got to tell you. That's our Savior right here. I can't wait to show you. I can't wait to show you. I can't wait to show you the realities and putting the pieces together and how much you'll understand. You will understand, he's saying to his disciples. Notice verse 17. It starts with, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day festival 
that started on Nisan 15, the month of Nisan 15, to Nisan 21. Passover, the day of Passover, always fell the day before the Feast of Unleavened Bread commenced. So Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were, they were always connected, always. And what happened over time was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were so closely connected that over time they came to mean the same thing. So when you said Passover, you meant Passover and unleavened bread. When you said the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you also meant the Passover. So seven days of unleavened bread, one day Passover, really to say either one was eight days. And everyone knew that, everyone understood that. So in our text here, Matthew is saying with unleavened bread is actually the day of the Passover. Our context says that, because if you look there in verse 17 and 18, the disciples are asking about when are we going to eat the Passover, which of course would only be done on the Passover. Look now at verse 18. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Now this is a very, very interesting verse. Jesus says, go into the city to a certain man. Okay, He's intentionally being nondescript. Uh, a certain man in our, as, as we would translate that, he's saying to a couple of disciples, go into the city and find Mr. So-and-so. Okay, at Passover time, there's approximately two million people in the city. Two million. Go into the city and find Mr. So-and-so. They must have looked at each other just for a moment and been like, what's he talking about? How do we find Mr. So-and-so? Mark's gospel fills it out a bit because Mark's gospel, Jesus says, you will find a man carrying a jar of water and he will meet you. Now you can say, oh, man carrying a jar of water, I mean, that doesn't help that much. It does help in this sense that women almost always carry the jar of water. So to find a man, still, two million people, you, got, you ever tried to find a friend at like a hockey game or something like that, or a big sporting event? It's pretty tough, isn't it? Okay, times that by 20, and here we are, you'll find a man carrying a jar of water, and he will meet you. And then Mark's gospel also tells us, Jesus says, this room will be an upper portion of a house, it will be large, it will be furnished. Notice again, loved ones, notice again the detail and the preparation Jesus has made for this meal. Find a large room at Passover in Jerusalem, okay? Now, how hard is that? A large furnished room during Passover in Jerusalem, that's like trying to find a sweet hotel room at a whole city during the Olympics. Almost impossible to do. But who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. Furthermore, from Luke's gospel, we know that only Peter and John were sent to make the preparations, now, two of them practically would be easier as opposed to sending all 12. But notice here in this verse, notice the apparent secrecy with everything. Again, why is Jesus kind of hiding some of the things? That Why is he, he says, like, go to a man, find a place, you'll see a room. Why all the ambiguous language? Why not a man's name? Why not a location? Why only Peter and John? Why are they just being sent? There's great insight here. There's great insight here because who else was with Jesus and the disciples at this time? Judas was. Judas was. And if you look up at Matthew 26, verse 14, take a look. It says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Listen, listen. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Simply put, when Jesus says, go into the city, a certain man, a certain house, certain place, certain this, certain that, it will all make sense to you. Just go do it. It was not Jesus' time to be betrayed. Not yet. A few hours, yes, but not yet. 
This Passover meal was essential. Why? Jesus needed to teach his disciples. He needed to transform his disciples. He needed to transfer truth and love to his disciples. Jesus is perfectly and precisely preparing everything over every detail. It is awesome. Let me ask you again. You don't think Jesus has the details of your life figured out? You don't think Jesus sees all? You don't think Jesus cares? Ah, yes, he does. Yes, he does. The more we truly live for the glory of the Lord, the more we see now with eyes his hand working upon our lives. Look now at verse 19. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Okay. The biblical theology occurring throughout this passage is both extremely powerful and beautiful. The Passover... We should know this. The Passover was the remembrance of when God spared his people out of death and rescued them from slavery, from Egypt, and commenced the exodus. You know the awesome story of the angel of death sweeping over Egypt? And unless there was blood on the doorposts and the lintels of the house, the firstborn would die. It was the blood that saved the firstborn of every Israelite home and then commenced God leading his people out of bondage and slavery and beginning the path to lead them to the promised land. For centuries and centuries, this incredible act of God was both remembered and celebrated in this meal called the Passover. But think now, think now. The Passover meal here in Matthew 26 was to be the last supper of Jesus here on earth and would put an end to the Passover. This Passover meal, again, would be the Passover to end all Passover meals. Why, why? Because the eating of the Passover lamb for all those centuries ultimately was a foreshadow and pointed to the Passover lamb of God, who was Jesus Christ. Just as the lamb represented atonement for sins, Jesus Christ would be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, God's Passover lamb for the sins of the world. This is why in the Bible certain things are said. I want to let you see this right here. I want you to notice this, that the preparation of the heart. Jesus died at Passover time. Coincidence as if. We're going to get to that more at the end of this message. Hey, so exciting. Jesus died right at Passover. Why? Well, we know. We know. Paul calls Jesus Christ, Christ our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5. When John the Baptist in John chapter 1, he saw Jesus Christ coming, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here we see the Passover. Again, the Passover to end all Passovers. Why? Because in this moment, loved ones, in this moment, Jesus says the old covenant is complete and the new covenant begins. It's awesome theology. It's incredible beauty. It's unbelievably powerful truth when we see it for what it is in this moment for all of time, all of time, all of history is centered right here on this Thursday night into the Friday and then the Sunday Oh, we see how why Jesus was so excited. Leading to this very moment, the Last Supper, replacing, listen, replacing the Passover and entering into the, to the Lord's Supper. So Jesus here preparing, preparing his disciples, preparing his church. A preparation of the heart, Passover. It's incredible. Point number two is 
is this. Now we see a, a shock to the heart. A shock to the heart, betrayal. Look at verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22, And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. The more we are familiar with this story right here in these verses, the easier it is to miss its impact. First of all, understand this. To share a meal in this context, in this way, was one of incredibly strong friendship and relationship. The idea of sharing a meal with someone and yet to betray them was really unthinkable. The first thing I want you to know. The second thing is these meals were of the highest celebration and unity. Uh, the, the joy they would have felt coming together to celebrate, to remember. Again, betrayal in this context would seem to be impossible. Who would ever come as an enemy, sit down and engage as a friend in deep relationship this way, but really in their hearts be a betrayer? Just, it wouldn't even uh, be, be comprehensible for the Jews in this kind of setting. Let's remember the Passover meal itself, all the different things that symbolized everything. The Passover meal itself contained bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs were a symbol of how bitterly the Israelites were treated as they were in Egypt as slaves. And here, though, the same bitterness, the same heart of bitterness is seen through the heart of Judas. Notice in verse 22, it says the disciples, and they were very sorrowful. You know, really what that means in the original is they were in shock. They were taken back. They couldn't believe it. Again, imagine the intimacy of the moment. Imagine the friendship and the loyalty. Imagine how the disciples looked up to their Savior, Jesus Christ. <coughs> We know that we go to a, a joyous celebration. It's just a, a time to enjoy one another and celebrate and then just to, to, to think of news that came in the middle of that joyful celebration. Just, it would hit us so hard and affect us so deeply. For anyone with a smidge of integrity, it's a devastating thought. And you know, feel the text here too because some of our greatest wounds have come from betrayal, haven't they? In our lives, so often our greatest hurts, our, 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 our most profound tears, our, our deepest anguish has come from someone we trusted. They, they have betrayed us and how much pain that causes in our lives. And just place yourself then in this situation where you have the disciples and Jesus and just imagine the intimacy and the longing to be close and the, and the discipleship and following the Lord. And then Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Just causes them, in verse 22, it causes them to desperately be searching their hearts. It can't be me, Lord. That's what they're saying. It can't be me, Lord, can it? It's not I, Lord, is it? It can't be me, Lord. You know, it's so interesting, Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, I want to put it up here for you. It's interesting that Leonardo da Vinci and his portrayal of the Last Supper, he took this moment right here. He painted the moment, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. 
And this is one of the most famous paintings of all time. And you can see here in the disciples, and this is Judas right here, and I learned this week he's lower than everyone else, and he has his little money bag, and his cup is, all these are symbols that da Vinci was trying to portray. And you have them all, is it I, is it I, is it I looking at water? And Peter's asking John to say, ask Jesus who it is. And it's really a profound portrayal of what, again, this moment might have been. The shock to the heart. Then notice verse 23. And Jesus answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. I believe Jesus said this not to point out exactly who it was because all would have dipped their hand in the dish. John's gospel seems to indicate that Jesus said directly to Judas. Now, but what we know is the other disciples were not picking up on that then. The other disciples, they were not aware that Judas was the betrayer. So however that might have taken place, was it just between Jesus and Judas? Whatever it was, everyone in the room wasn't noticing and it wasn't that big a room. I think the point of what's happening right here is you're supposed to be my friend. This setting is friendship and loyalty and love because only friends shared the table But notice this event had to happen to fulfill Psalm 41. Look at on the screen here. Notice this verse. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Just every every element is under the sovereignty of God and orchestrating all that he needed to see happen and that would happen. (coughs) I want you to notice this. This is... Hit me hard this week. One of the beautiful truths of this moment is notice what the disciples do. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me, notice their first instinct is not blaming outwards. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Their first reaction is, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Do you want to know a sign that God is powerfully working at your life? Then when things are hard and when sin is seen, the first response of you is not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's you. A sign that God is at work in your life is when the first reaction you have is you look within and you say, God, am I the problem? Do you know how many marriages would be saved if each spouse just said, am I the problem, Lord? Do you know how many churches would not fall apart? The leadership could just start by saying, am I the problem, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? And in this beautiful, the disciples did not trust themselves. And that's awesome. It's so beautiful to see right here. And so their first reaction is look within, look within, look within. God powerfully working and in despair and just in disbelief. And yet they did that just the same. And then verse 24, look at the Son of Man goes, at his, is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. I want you to see here in verse God's word so much, so much, so much. Verse 24, notice the sovereignty of God in verse 24. The Son of Man goes as it is written. Jesus is saying, whatever's written about me, this will happen. Uh, uh, My path is determined by my Father. I am under the will of God. I must be betrayed. So I'm handed over unjustly, and I will die. That's what he's saying right here. But notice also the responsibility of man in verse 24. Because Jesus says, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. So God is completely sovereign, and yet man is responsible for sin. Judas is responsible for his betrayal. 
He's responsible for his sin, yet this is all under the sovereignty of God. You're like, Ravi, I don't get it. How can God be sovereign and man be responsible? I don't know. The Bible teaches both. This is a level of mystery our minds can't fully comprehend. God is sovereign, man is responsible. There's no man that will stand before God and say, you're unjust, I was not a sinner. You made me do it. No man will do it. Every single person ever born is responsible for their own sin. Yet here is God in his sovereignty, painting this incredibly beautiful picture as only he can. It's a paradox, yet both are absolutely true. Notice Judas says, and notice he says there in verse 25, he says, is it I, Rabbi? Is it I? Now, to call uh, Jesus Rabbi, that's any teacher he would ever know would be called Rabbi. Notice how the disciples called Jesus in verse 22. You see that? The disciples, they said to him, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Master? Is it I, Ruler? But then Judas, revealing where his heart's really at, There's no lordship in Judas' life for Jesus. He says, is it I, teacher? Now this question that Judas asks right here, this is one of utmost hypocrisy because Judas has already arranged the betrayal. So when he's asking Jesus, is it I, he knows full well the answer to his own question. The ultimate hypocrite, staring the face in Jesus Christ and flat out lying. It's here that John's gospel tells us that Satan entered into Judas and that he left to fulfill his betrayal. I believe at this point right here, and there's lots of debate around this, but I believe right here when Judas is called out, and Jesus says, you have said so, Satan enters him, he gets up, and he leaves before the Lord's Supper is instituted. There is debate about that, but I believe, again, John's Gospel makes this clear. Listen, listen. Judas around the Gospel Judas looking at the gospel, Judas seeing his Savior, but his heart was so hard, and he was so filled with self, and he's playing the game, he could not actually receive and be saved. Oh, loved ones, that we would hear the gospel, receive the gospel. Oh, I beg God right now that you are here right now, and you hear the gospel, and your testimonies of salvation, and you would not hear and move on. You would not hear and have a hard heart. You would not hear and just put it aside, but you would hear and receive and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who sets you free. Oh, for those who hear the gospel time after time, but betray their Lord and leave without being changed. Because this is Judas. He sees it all, he hears it all. He lives for self. He betrays his God. Please, God, not here today. Please, God, no. Please, God, soft hearts. A preparation of the heart Passover. A shock to the heart. Betrayal. And now this, loved ones, a cure for the heart, the Lord's Supper. A cure for the heart, the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, see, I believe Judas is not here for this now. He said, take, eat, this is my body. By the way, it's one of the reasons I just think the Lord's Supper is just so important, so precious, so reverent, so meaningful for unbelievers to take the Lord's Supper. It just just can't happen. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, drink of it, all of you, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, what Jesus does right now, he takes two symbols that were already present in the Passover meal. He takes the bread and the wine, but what he does now, he totally gives those two symbols an entirely new and fresh meaning. Jesus takes the bread of the meal and he says, take, eat, this is my body. He breaks it, the text says, take, eat, this is my body. Now for any Jew listening right here, when Jesus just says that, that is absolutely shocking. This, this, this phrase was not part of the Passover ritual. For the disciples, this would be a truth that they wouldn't fully understand in this moment, but after Easter, post-Easter, more and more, the light bulbs would start to go off and the meaning would start to sink in. How much do they understand when Jesus breaks the bread, take, eat, this is my body. How much do they get there? Not much. But after Jesus dies and after he is raised from the dead, can you imagine the moments and they look at scripture and they understand what Jesus taught them and all the times he said, I must die, I must die. On the third day I'll be raised. Can you imagine the moments the light bulbs filled their minds and their hearts were, 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 were lifted up and rejoicing and understanding, I get it, I get it, I get it. Take, eat. This is my body. Jesus breaks the bread and says, this is my body. Why did he break the bread? Indicating the violent death he was about to undergo. A lot of people, they got hung up and saying, you can't say his, his body broken because his bones weren't broken. That is true, but his body was broken. He was pierced. He was ripped to shreds. He was beaten. He was crucified. He had nails gone through his hands and his feet all for the sin of mankind. And remember, loved ones, today, today, saved in Christ, we hold this bread as a symbol. We eat this bread as a symbol. As the bread touches our tongue and hits the taste buds in our mouths that is designed that we would personally participate with our senses and all that Jesus Christ did when he gave us his body. Take, eat, this is my body. Notice Jesus says, take, take, eat. Invitation, receive what is offered to you, but notice you must take. Take, eat, but you must take. Taking is what? Taking is believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Believing he is Lord. Believing he is Savior. It's the faith to say, you did die for my sins. I received the gift of eternal life. Take, and eat. This is my body. It's an act of faith. And then Jesus says in verse 27, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us not to be familiar right now. Please, please, Lord, help us to feel the magnitude of this moment. So Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, now he takes the cup. There were four cups in the Passover meal. This is almost certainly the cup of blessing, the third cup within the Passover. Understanding God's righteous hand, he saves his people, remembered from Egypt. He puts in place, with his words right here, Jesus puts in place the new covenant of his blood. Okay, who can do that? Okay, century after century after century, decade after decade, year after year, the Passover is remembered and celebrated. God saved us, he rescued us. He spared our firstborn. He brought us out of bondage. He brought us out of slavery. He allowed us to be free. He, 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 he uh, gave us the promised land. 
And yet here is Jesus, and in one sentence he says, take the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Who can say that? Who can do that? God can. The Lamb of God can. The Passover Lamb of God can. The old covenant remembered a temporary cleansing. It was to be repeated over and over and over again. But the new covenant would bring eternal forgiveness, internal transformation. It would cleanse. It would cleanse us from all sin. So how do you properly convey again the magnitude of this moment when Jesus takes the cup and says, this drink, this is the new covenant in my blood. You know, there's much debate. There's much debate about this. But again, I don't believe that a lamb was actually eaten at this meal right here with Jesus and his disciples. There's no mention of a lamb in the Gospels here relating to this Passover meal. Some will say, well, Passover is mentioned, therefore the lamb must have been there. The whole center of the thing was the Passover. But here's the thing I see from this, is that the Passover, the lamb was there already. His name is Jesus Christ. He was at the meal, and whether the disciples understood it all or not, we're not sure, but Jesus sure did. Furthermore, furthermore, Jesus being the Passover lamb, this was Thursday evening. Our calendar, Thursday evening. In the Jews' calendar, it was the beginning of Friday morning. Sunset, their day started. Sunset to sunset. The lambs for Passover were all killed on Friday between 3 and 5 p.m., There was no other time to have your lamb slaughtered for the Passover meal. All in Jerusalem had to be in the temple. Everyone gathered at the same time. They brought their lambs. They were all killed on Friday between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Therefore, we are led to believe with confidence that the lamb couldn't have been slaughtered for this Thursday evening meal. But again, Jesus being the Passover lamb himself. But see, this Friday morning and Friday was different. I want you to think about this. All the lambs were slaughtered in the temple between 3 and 5 p.m. on Friday. Jesus died somewhere around 3 p.m. on Friday. The thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs slaughtered and killed on that Passover Friday, and all their blood was running through the temple. At the exact same time, Christ, the Passover lamb of God, was dying on the cross, and his blood was running down the cross for the forgiveness of the sins of humanity. The lambs cry in the temple. The lamb of God cries out on the cross. It is finished. He is so worthy. And he has done everything for us. Think of the moment then when Jesus knows all that's about to happen. And he takes the cup and he says, drink it. Drink of it, all of you, for this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In my blood. This Lamb of God, 
is the only hope for the sin of mankind. Loved ones, think. Just think. For those of us saved in Christ, you are about to hold the symbols of the bread, his body, and the juice, his blood. How thankful are you? How thankful are we for all that he has done? You know, as Jesus says in verse 28, he says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Notice he says right there, he doesn't just say, This is poured out for the 11 of you. No, this is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he's, he is looking ahead at that moment, 2,000 years, to a town called Oakville, to a day in March, to a people like us, that he would know be sitting here right now, that we would celebrate the supper of the Lord, looking back on what he has done, and looking forward to when he will return. And all of this, in that moment, under God's orchestration, by his love and his grace and his mercy, Jesus Christ willingly was brutally tortured, was crucified, and took on the wrath of God for your sins and mine because he loved us so much. How thankful are we? How thankful are we? And we get to take the Lord's Supper right now. The Lord's Supper is the cure for the heart, loved ones. It's the only way. It's the symbol of the death that was paid that you and I might live. I'm going to ask us to take an extended moment of silence right now. The ushers can come forward or the servers can come forward to get ready to serve communion. But let's just discipline ourselves right now and still ourselves in this moment. And let's thank our God. Let's thank our Savior for his cross. Let's thank him for all that he did. Let's confess our sins as the Bible tells us to in this moment. Let's examine our hearts, our lack of gratitude, our selfishness. Let's repent, but let's also rejoice. Let's rejoice in the blood that was shed for you and me. There's none like you, Jesus. There's none like you. Oh, Lord, I pray you would help us to just picture ourselves at that table in the upper room and just watching you as you took the bread and you broke it and you said, take, eat, this is my body. Help us, Lord, to feel that moment and even just to, even more so now, to look back and we know what it means. Help us, Lord, to imagine you taking the cup and you say, the old covenant's done. It's done. I'm about to fulfill it by dying on the cross. The Passover is no more because the Lord's Supper is now here. Take this cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand this is our forgiveness. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of our Savior. Oh, God, help us to be humble. 
We're not a humble people. We're not. We're so worldly. We're so selfish. We're so petty. Help us, Lord. Help us to see what matters. Help us to see you. Oh, God, help us to live for Jesus Christ. Help us to love you more. Whole lives. Oh, children, give your life to the Lord. Surrender to Him. You're everything. Oh, church. Hand Him your future. Hand Him your marriage. Hand Him your wallet. Hand Him your fears. Hand him your sin. And you will know his grace. You will know his grace. He says, take, eat. Take, eat. You must receive. He says, drink. Oh, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Oh, the love of Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood. Oh, Lord, make this moment so beautiful.